The Old Testament reading is taken from the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading is taken from the book of St. Luke, verses 67 to verses 80. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. All glory to you, O Lord. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you, I'm Cindy Parker. I am on staff here and excited to be in this season of singing songs with you um, together. Even as I was coming to church this morning, there was lots of talk on the radio about favorite songs, new songs coming out, the good old classics. Um, There's always those songs that somehow get in your head. You don't know why when you're walking down the street, why are you singing that song? You realize you must have subconsciously picked it up because the last story you were in had music playing. Uh, For me, I would say when there's songs that are specifically about Christmas and the birth of Jesus, I end up doing big argumentations in my head. Is that culturally appropriate? Is that actually what it was like? Is that theologically the correct message. I mean, it's super messy in here. I have to say, you don't want to join me in those, in those songs. 
Um, but we as a church have a chance now to look at songs that belong to the first Christmas. These are probably the most appropriate and the most beautiful of all the Christmas songs that we could be singing or thinking about or analyzing. And so last week, or not last week, two weeks ago, Chris started this Advent series and we talked about the Song of Mary. And as Chris was introducing it, as he did a little bit earlier in this service too, just talking about the purpose of Advent, this practice of our Christian community to practice being attentive and waiting for when Jesus shows up. And how, um, and one of the, the ways that Chris brought this out that I really appreciated was the contrast between um, wanting to escape so sometimes when we're uncomfortable with the holiday season, we're trying to escape from it altogether and just wait for it to go by. Or we escape into it by diving deep and kind of getting all preoccupied so we're not actually dealing with the hard issues of this particular season. And how different escaping is from engaging. And how we as the church are called to actually engage, to be courageous enough to look up and see the things that are around us that are dark, that are not the way they should be, and not shy away from that, but to stand boldly and hope for light and look for light and eagerly be anticipating the way that Jesus is going to show up now, even as he did in ancient times. So we are engaging the book of Luke because Luke gives us several songs. And these songs are so great as a, as a guidance for us. We see in Luke people who are also living in a very rough time. It's not rough the same way it's rough for us in our modern day uh, where we're very aware globally of everything that is going on. But it was still a rough time for them. I mean, we were thinking by the time of the things that Luke is describing for us, the Jews have only recently, only about 60 years earlier, lost their political independence. And so when we end up talking about people like Zechariah and Elizabeth, those are two people who would have remembered when they were independent, when they were free, when they had a Jewish king who was on the throne. But Rome has come over and has imposed a very heavy hand. And with Rome, we see a heavy taxation. We see Herod the Great, who is taking that money from the people and building extraordinary fortress palaces all over the place. So expensive building, our hard-earned money that is going into him being able to show his ego on the landscape. So it's not only what are they seeing, what are the Jews seeing in contrast to what Rome is bringing in, but even just culturally among the Jews, there's disagreement as to how people should be interacting with the Romans and how they should be either resisting or embracing the changes that Hellenism is bringing. And so the times are somewhat tumultuous. They're hard a different heart, a different darkness than from us. But we see in them what we experience. People were eagerly anticipating and almost desperate for God to show up and to bring some sort of light 
and to bring some sort of restoration and some sort of beauty into the hardness that they were experiencing. And so Zachariah's song that we're going to be talking about today is a lot like Mary's song that we talked about two weeks ago, where we see people who are eagerly anticipating and waiting for God. And when they see God act in really beautiful and specific ways, they can't help but respond the only way any of us can respond in art, poetry, words that have flexible meaning, that can be shaped and crafted, songs that have sounds that ring out in harmony, um, sounds that get down into your soul, that sit with you for a bit and shape your theology. This is the only kind of appropriate response for when God shows up in such a dramatic way. So like every song, there's a backstory. Right, so have you ever like some of these hymns that we sing, have you ever sung the hymn and it's really quite beautiful, but then you hear the backstory, the author of the hymn, what they were going through when they came up with those words, right? And then it totally changes the way you sing it from then on out. So we have to do the backstory uh, for Zachariah's song because it doesn't just explode out of nowhere. And this is where the brilliant writing of Luke comes in because Luke crafts one of the most beautiful chapter ones of the gospels and it builds the anticipation of the audience. And so Luke starts out by telling us that there is a couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and they are both righteous before the Lord. So we have this great couple. And then goes on to talk about how they have not had children, and now Elizabeth is beyond childbearing age. So nothing like having Holy Scriptures record that you're in menopause and can't have children anymore. I love that that is recorded forever and ever, right? But in this moment, Zechariah is now going to be fulfilling his priestly duties and he is in the temple in front of the altar of incense, which is the place where the prayers of the people are ascending before God. And so we have this picture of, with all of the prayers ascending before God, Gabriel shows up in response. Now, not to get sidetracked, but this is really fun Bible trivia. So maybe ask me like when we go to coffee hour or something and I'll explain. But the last time Gabriel showed up, if you don't know, it's fun to trace that. What is Gabriel's role in scripture? Because he's mentioned, and I will give you this, he's mentioned in the book of Daniel. And the message that Gabriel brings is almost meant, I almost wonder if Luke isn't specifically saying, read the message from Daniel as an echo or harmonizing part to what Gabriel is saying in Luke. Super fun. Anyway, we can run down that rabbit hole later. But Gabriel shows up and basically gives Zechariah this message. God is indeed working in the Jews. God is indeed working in the world. And God is indeed making this cosmic shift in the world. And he's doing it by giving you, Zechariah, a son. Now, this is an extraordinary message. And we, the readers of Luke, before we even get to the song that is going to come out of the mouth of Zechariah, 
already, if we're being attentive, we should already be hearing echoes of Old Testament stories. When else has there been an older couple who are unable to have children, who have God promised that he is going to bring a child and the miraculous things that child is going to do? This is in the background. This is the stage on which this Zechariah story is happening. And maybe in your heads you're going, ah, Abraham and Sarah. And you think, oh, and what were the promises that God gave to Abraham and to Sarah and to their descendants and to the effect of their family on the world? So this is echoing there. But you know what else is echoing there? And it comes out a little bit. It's maybe not such an easy male-to-male, female-to-female role. There's another echo of a story here that's really incredibly beautiful, and that would be Hannah. Think of Hannah, also unable to have children, also at the tabernacle, not the temple, but she's at the tabernacle. There's a priest in that story. She's promised a child. That child is going to be dedicated to God. That child is going to renew the hearts of God's people to God that child will be the one who will anoint King David to be the righteous ruler over the Israelites. That story is hanging out in the background too. So already before we've even gotten to the poetry, already we're looking at layers of stories that are building anticipation and building hope for what it is that God is about to do. So when we get to the Song of Zechariah, and this part was really hard for me in preparing this message. Um, I mean, this is like version seven of this particular sermon. Because uh, in the Exodus class, you know, several of you know that there's a group of us who are going very slowly through the book of Exodus. And we just only recently made it to Exodus 15, which is the Song of Miriam. And we, so I've been doing like all of this poetry, Hebrew poetry and sing songs. And then we looked at Mary's song and now we're looking at Zechariah's song. And for me, like sitting in these poetic, artistic moments in scripture feel a little bit like stepping into a room that is full of prisms. And it's so beautiful because you're looking at the way that the light bounces around the room. And you could walk out and be like, that was really beautiful. Or you could stay and you could sit and you can watch the light shift and change. And as the light around you shifts and changes, different colors start popping out in this room. That's what hanging out for long periods of time with the Song of Zechariah can be that. The longer you look at it, the prism shifts, the light shifts, and you see new layers that belong to this artistry that is so amazing. I just want to point out a few things as as we go. So looking at his song. So then Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. Depending on translations, this, it could almost, and I almost prefer it, the translation that says that God has visited his people and redeemed them. And the reason I like that is because I'm reading with Exodus in mind, as I think Zechariah probably was too. 
And Exodus, there are big themes in Exodus of God showing up, of God moving, of God advancing towards his people to visit his people. And then his action results in the redemption of his people. So I like the visiting language because it makes the harmony with the song of the sea just that much sweeter and beautiful. But then it goes on and he has raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of servant David. And so now we're getting, oh, that Samuel and David and the kingdom connections that are here. And then he brings in the prophets and then he makes mention that, it uh, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And I don't know what Zechariah had in mind at this moment. Is he thinking Rome? Is he thinking someone else? And the truth is, it's probably all of those and even more poignant because we who know this story that Luke is telling us, we also know that what is coming is salvation from the tyranny of sin and death as well. And again, Exodus language. For he has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestors, Abraham. And so again, kind of there is this mercy in God remembering and the fact that God doesn't forget and God always acts and God is consistent to fulfill what he has promised. And then all of this majestic language points to the effect and what happens. What is this, this reason for God's movement in drawing close, in visiting, in redeeming? It's so that we being rescued from the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then we switch, there's almost this second half to the poem. And I really love this part of this almost human interaction, father to son. Because Zechariah then says, and you child, you can just see him like addressing this infant baby in his hands. And you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. This is not only an echo of Malachi three that we read just prior, this idea that when the Messiah shows up, there will be a forerunner who will go before and prepare the way. It's also an echo of Isaiah 40, who in grandiose language talks about when the Messiah shows up, when God intervenes, it is such a magnificent and beautiful moment. Someone needs to go out ahead and catch people's attention and say, look up, lift up your eyes, pay attention. Do not miss what is about to happen. And Zechariah here looking at his infant son can go, you're going to be that one who is going to do this. And it gives salvation to his people by the forgiveness of sins, by the mercy of God. Again, a second mention, this mercy of God and how mercy and salvation are paired together. And then we get another reference, again, picking up words from the prophets, both Malachi and Isaiah. The dawn from on high will break upon us. So Zechariah recognizing this is the moment when light is about to come, like a sunrise up over the horizon, except instead of coming up from under the horizon, this light is coming from on high. 
and is about to shine and will shine on all who sit in the darkness. And he ends in such a powerful way. This is the bold double underline kind of ending to this art piece. He says, to then guide our feet in a new way of peace. So the Messiah is on his way. The wait is over. God has visited his people. It will have a transformative effect because then we will be shaped and we will act in an ethically responsible, righteous way. This emphasis on peace is also Luke's way of confronting what was the the normal expectation of Jews at the time. That the way of resisting, the way of bringing about um, restoration is going to come through violent means. And instead, Luke is pointing to this almost impossible, dare we hope, for this way of peace. And this path of peace is not something that we just happen upon. We don't just find the path of peace or naturally end up on it. We need this light that is coming from above to then shine the way for this kind of peace. And so we see from Luke's version and the way that he's crafting this story that this shalom restoration and shalom being not just I feel really rested, but I have been completely restored to the way that God has designed me and my environment and my community to be, this fullness of restoration. And this shalom restoration as being the goal of God liberating his people. So I really love these songs, these original Advent songs, the the songs that were sung before we got to the Christmas event. Uh, for a few reasons. One, because they were the first, and I think they therefore can become a really good model for us. They teach us about how God's people look at scripture and look at history. I can't help but wonder, when I see God act and do something dramatic, what is my song? Am I quick to pick up on words of scripture? Or am I doing something else? Because what these songs are doing is they're looking backwards at the long story. They're looking backwards at what God has already done. They're looking back and saying the God who's showing up is actually recognizable because this is what he's done before. And so this is why we can be transformed by the light that he is bringing. And I also feel very encouraged by these songs because just like Zechariah, just like like Mary, can reach back and go and look to Miriam's song in the wilderness or look to Hannah's song or look at the encouraging words of the prophets for what God is going to do. Sometimes we then, maybe we can just look back at Zechariah's song and go, and this too. And when Mary was calling for the powerful to be brought down and the lowly to be brought up, Zechariah is looking for that light that is coming that shows you the path of peace and the path of restoration. And that is just something that I think is really beautiful for all of us because darkness is really, really easy to see. Um, And it doesn't take much. I mean, we just look around us at our world and we see an incredible amount of darkness. 
But to be able to stand and learn from people who waited expectantly, who participated, who engaged God when God showed up, those are the people that we can learn from. We, I think in this time of Advent, as we are practicing and we are participating, and I would say, most importantly, maybe even as a community, because we need each other in this, um, as a friend of mine mentioned yesterday, reminding me once more, because I was kind of complaining and darkness and darkness and darkness. And she's like, yep, and let's practice being fervent in our hope for the light. I was like, yep. Sometimes I can't do it on my own. So this Advent time is a time for us as a community to stand together, to call each other to eagerly anticipating the light. And the kind of light that dramatically dispels darkness. And the kind of light that shows you the path of shalom. And dare we hope, the kind of shalom that maybe we'll see glimpses of as different elements in family relationships over the holiday maybe shift and change in a positive way. Or maybe where we see systematic problems in the city of Philadelphia maybe shift and change. Dare we hope that it can be the kind of shalom that is so imaginative and so different and so beautiful that there's a different answer to what's going on in Gaza or in the Ukraine or in Sudan. Whew. I think because that's the shalom that I am deeply craving this particular year. Oh, I hate crying in front of you all. <sighs> but I imagine there are some of you who are craving that same kind of shalom. Because when dark feels powerful, we look to the song of Zechariah, and we look to the song of Miriam and to Mary, and we realize the power of the light is actually better. And so we need to sit and eagerly anticipate and practice looking for it because it will show up in beautiful and subtle ways that won't be with the violence of armies, but it'll be in the servanthood of someone like God's servant who came and died and then gave us his Holy Spirit and invited us to join the same mission in reflecting that kind of light into the world. So may we practice that together and may we be ready to sing a powerful song when it does. Will you pray with me? Holy God, the one who showed up in this moment recorded for us by Luke, showed up in this particular moment in the life of Zechariah, and yet it wasn't all that unusual because you had done it before. And because of the long story, because of your long promises, because you don't forget, we can turn and look to the future. And we can sometimes in a, in a way that is very hard, but we stand together and encourage each other 
to believe that you will do it again. And so this preparation of Advent, may it be a time for us to experience glimmers of hope as we eagerly anticipate the light to shine in the darkness. And in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.